Bibles, open them with me to the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And um, for those of you who are guests with us, again, welcome. And the Lord has led us to a wonderful subject. And we began in um, January working this way, uh, working on this uh, particular subject. And it has to do with fellowship, but not just fellowship with one another, but ultimately our fellowship with God. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. And we have spent some time over in the Old Testament understanding that God has an eternal desire for fellowship with you, that we see it throughout his actions towards his people. But it's not until we get to the New Testament when Jesus arrives that we see the exact kind of fellowship and the far-reaching nature of it. Uh, in other words, all that comes into view uh, when Jesus arrives here. And as is the case really and truly with anything pertaining to God, it's always exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or imagine. And so that's what we're, with the Holy Spirit's help and the Word of God's help, beginning to wrap our hearts and minds around. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, it says this, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Now look at me for just a moment. I'm, I'm, I've got a certain place I'm trying to get to this, this morning, so I'm not going to comment a whole lot on this. But sometimes we, we read verses, especially the verses that fall into the category of what I would call an introduction to a book or an introduction to a letter. And um, so like, you know, if, if you're writing an email or a note to a friend, um, you, you may begin it with something like, I hope all is well with you today, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like niceties, you understand niceties in your home? In other words, where you're just, you know, being polite and kind of saying hello, and then you're going to say like, you know, why were you not at the meeting at 9 o'clock, you know? But, you know, you kind of begin with it, you know, just the, almost it's like, you know, you're obligated to say those kinds of things, right? And if we're not careful, we'll have that same attitude towards the introductions to the letters that we have. For instance, this was a letter written by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. And so obviously he is giving them a greeting. He is giving them a welcoming. But it's still the Word of God. It's still the Word of God. For instance, um, in 3 John it says, Beloved, I wish above all things. This is the opening of, of that letter. I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Well, that to me is one of, you know, such an important verse of Scripture because it reveals so much to us about ourselves and about the inward health, uh, you know, allowing us to be healthy outwardly. But there are a lot of people who say, oh, you can't read so much into that because that was just Paul's greeting. Well, listen, I mean, not John's greeting in, in that letter. Well, <laughs> it's the Word of God even if it's a greeting. So when he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, there's a hundred sermons in what he just communicated. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? When he's talking about the grace of God that they received, he's talking about everything that the grace of God has produced in their lives. Every, every difference that the grace of God has made in their lives, including their salvation, including their receiving the gift of righteousness, including them being reconciled to God and presented before him in right standing. Amen. So he says, this was given to us, um, the grace of God was given to us 
by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short of no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That confirming you to the end, it's said another way in the book of Philippians. It says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So what God started, he will see through to the end. That's his commitment to you. He is eternally committed to you. Amen? He is emotionally connected to you, and he is enthusiastically concerned for you. And so he says, the one who has confirmed his testimony in you will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blameless there is talking about the blood of Jesus, not just covering over your sin, but removing them from you completely and recreating you as one who is right before God in the eyes of God. Now, this next passage, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This to me is one of the most fascinating, one of the most amazing passages in the Bible, period. But especially when it comes to the subject of fellowship. Because He's saying that we have been called by God, not just to some uh, area of you know, service or some area of ministry. Some of you have a, a, a call you know, to... Uh, uh, sing or a call to administrate or a call to, in other words, people say, you know, sometimes you missed your calling or what have you. In other words, God has gifted you and then called you. Amen. And all of those callings are important, but the most important call, the most important call is that Father God is calling you into fellowship with Himself. He is calling you into the fellowship of His Son. Amen. In other words, He has called you not just to have fellowship with Him, but to have the same fellowship with Him that Jesus has with Him. Now let that, let that wash over you for a moment, okay? Because our fellowship with Him is dependent upon our standing with Him. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Because your fellowship with Him is based upon and dependent upon your standing with Him. Okay? This is why we have been given as a gift the same standing with God the Father as Jesus Christ. Now I know for a lot of you that just seems almost impossible. I heard about that guy down there in Hueytown. He's preaching heresy. No, no, please hear me. read your Bible. Study your word. Praise God. We have been given the gift of righteousness. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, if we did not have that standing, we could not have that fellowship. We could not have the same fellowship with God the Father as Jesus if we did not have the same standing with God the Father as Jesus. So God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His... Remember we said the far-reaching nature of this fellowship. We see it in the Old Testament. We see glimpses, we see shadows, we see examples... But in the New Testament, not only is it laid out for us, it's laid out for us in overwhelming magnitude. Now, I know we made this point last week, but I, I want to I just touch back on this one more time and then we'll move to some new stuff, okay? There is a huge disconnect in our hearts between what we know about the love of God and that knowledge translating into our understanding that He has an eternal desire for fellowship with us. 
I've reworded that so many different times, and it's hard to capture what's in my heart, at least right now, in one statement. But we hear so much about God's love for us, but somehow we never take what we've heard and learned and even believe about His love for us and allow that to translate over into His desire to be with you. God doesn't just love you, He wants you. Obviously, the people you love the most are the people you want in your life. And he not just, you know, so easy to say, well, God loves you. Jesus loves you. And we hear that and it just sails right over our head without it ever really, you know, connecting that he, he wants you. He's pursued you. We sing a song around here. He chased me down. He sought me out. See, in the Old Testament, we see seek God, you'll find him. In the New Testament, we see God becoming a man and searching us out. Jesus bridged that gap of misunderstanding for us, became man in the person of Jesus Christ, and came to seek and to save that which was lost. So we've been called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this morning, I want to spend a few minutes better developing an understanding of what fellowship actually is. I've said this a few times, but, you know, it's sad to me that in most churches, fellowship means potluck. Fellowship means bring a covered dish, and let's all fellowship together. And while that is fellowship, it is but a small portion It is very superficial, in other words, of what the word actually means. Now, another thing that we tried to bring clarity to in the course of our study is that we're not just talking about a relationship with God. While the word relationship certainly is a step in the right direction, in the sense that, you know, God desires to have a relationship with you. It's not just that He desires to have a relationship with you, it's that He desires to have fellowship with you. And so, all fellowship is relationship, but not all relationship is fellowship. Fellowship is relationship of the highest order. You see, I have a relationship with Regions Bank, Alabama football, the IRS, and my Chevrolet pickup. I have a relationship with all of those things, right? And so a relationship can mean a person, it can mean a thing, it can mean a place. You know, I have a relationship with Hueytown High School. It can be something from your past. So when we're talking about fellowship, we're talking about something much deeper, something much more intimate, something that is much more involved. Now, the transliteration, and what that means, transliteration, I'm trying to use big words like mayonnaise on you, I'm just trying to, the transliteration is when you take a Greek word and the Greek alphabet and you assign it English letters 
So, in other words, if you were to literally say it in English, the Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia. Koinonia. All right? Have you ever heard that word before? Some of you may have. Koinonia. All right? So, if we're really, I think, going to build a better understanding and, 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 and really embrace a definition of fellowship, we need to go back to the roots. We need to go back to how this word is found in the scriptures. Now, I believe, and we'll get to some of that, it may be later, but we'll get to some of that. You can learn a lot by just looking up the word fellowship in a dictionary. But I'm interested because we don't need any uh, contamination in this. We, we need it straight from the word that was used by the Holy Spirit when the scriptures were, were first written. Amen? So this word koinonia, what does it mean? Koinonia means community, communion, joint participation. It speaks of the share which one has in anything. All right? Now again, koinonia means community, communion, joint participation. It speaks of the share which one has in anything. Let me take that last part of the definition first, the share which one has in anything. When the churches in the New Testament would receive an offering to help a struggling sister church, they would call it koinonia because they viewed that they were all a part of the same body and so it was their joint participation together in helping the brother or sister that was in need. So fellowship, again, is more than just partaking of a meal together. Now, I want to add one last thing to this. While what we're learning does have to do with our fellowship with other people in the sense that our fellowship with other people is more than sitting in a folding chair at an eight-foot fold-up table and having a meal together. We, we can learn as we understand better the definition of fellowship how to better have fellowship with our other members of the body of Christ. Are you still with me this morning? Praise God. But ultimately, what we're defining this for is to understand our fellowship with God. Amen. It's not that our fellowship with other people is like our fellowship with God. It's that our fellowship with God is like the fellowship we have with other people. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, we first and foremost must have fellowship with Him in order to effectively respect one another and treat one another as God would have us treat and respond to one another. Remember, you have been called to do and be many things, but those other things are not just secondary to your calling to fellowship with God. They are ultimately dependent upon that fellowship with Him. 
So the closer you draw to God as an individual, the better positioned and equipped you are going to be to have fellowship with other people. If you want a better marriage, then draw closer to God as a husband and as a wife. And as you both draw closer to Him, you will draw closer to one another. It, it cannot. In other words, it would be impossible for you to have a worse marriage with both the husband and the wife drawing closer to and having deeper fellowship with God. And the same is true with every other occupation, with every other calling, with every other position. A better parent, a better employee, a better boss. Now, in order to understand fellowship, I think it goes without saying that we need a better understanding of community and communion. Because the first word in the definition of koinonia is the word community. You could almost, not quite, but you could almost use these words interchangeably, synonymously. So koinonia means community, communion, and joint participation. Let's begin with talking about this word community. Am I boring you this morning? I'm not trying to bore you. We got, you know, I love to preach, love to, love to sweat it up and, and hoop and holler, but I wanna, we, we need this foundation. We, we need this groundwork. Amen. I'm not exactly sure why the Holy Spirit has orchestrated it in this order. In other words, if I was just making the, calling the shots here, this is where I would have started in January with just a definition of fellowship. But I believe he wanted us to be introduced at least to the concept of it from the scriptures to create within us a hunger and a desire for it. So that hopefully now that you are beginning to hunger for fellowship and deeper fellowship with God, that you're in a position to really embrace what it is and what it means. Community simply defined is a group of people existing together. Now you probably knew that without me telling you, but let's look at a little more in-depth definition. Community is a unified group of people with shared attitudes and goals living and working together for one another's mutual interests and benefit. Alright? That's a lot of words. Let me give it to you again. I'm not expecting you to write it down. You know, you know if, you jot some, if you're taking notes, jot it down. But Community simply defined as a group of people existing together. But a community is more than that, right? A more in-depth definition is a unified group of people with shared attitudes and goals living and working together for one another's mutual interests and benefits. Now, let's get a working definition of communion, and then we'll build on those two uh, pieces, all right? I don't know about you, but when I hear the word communion, I think about the wafer and the grape juice. Am I the only one? Especially if you were raised in church. You know, we, we have holy communion. And of course, for those of you who were not raised in church, that's you know, following the Lord's instructions, it's symbolic of the Passover meal where he broke bread and, and fed it. They all ate from the same loaf and then he uh, poured uh, unleavened, unfermented wine in a, in a cup and they all drank from the same cup. Notice the joint participation. Notice how the idea was that they all had something in common. And then Jesus told them, 
to continue to eat that in remembrance of Him until He returns. So when we hear this word communion, we have this idea of the wafer and the juice. But it's what the wafer and the juice represent that are at the heart of what communion really means. Now again, the simple definition of communion is this. Communion is an act or instance of sharing. Communion is an act or instance of sharing. So communion between people involves those individuals sharing with other individuals their thoughts, their feelings, their experiences. So if you think of two words now, are you ready? Matter of fact, I'm just going to stick notes up here if this isn't proper English, just forgive me, amen? So notice if you take the words common and union and join them together, you get common union or communion. Are you with me? Common union, communion. Communion is speaking of shared actions and experiences that unite us together. One definition for communion is intimate fellowship. So do you see what I mean by these words are almost synonymous with koinonia. They're almost synonymous with fellowship. Think about it. The more you share your life with another person and the more they share theirs with you, the more you grow in fellowship with that person and the closer you become to them. That is communion. Common union. Sometimes people say, oh, we have nothing in common. You ever use that expression? Well, let me tell you what that means. That means that you have not shared very much of yourself with them and they have not shared very much of themselves with you. You don't have to enjoy the same things other people enjoy to have communion with them. Are you understand what I'm saying here? My brother loves Volkswagens. Are you following what I'm saying? I like cars that are big. Amen. I do not have that in common with him. Are you understand what I'm saying here? But that does not mean that we don't have a whole lot of things that we have common union Concerning. Amen. You know, people say in relationships that opposites attract. And then other folks say that opposites attack. And I think you can make a case for both. But fellowship is about finding the common ground. It's about finding things that we can unite and be unified concerning. This is why the Lord's Supper, this is why partaking of communion together, the wafer and the bread, this, more than anything else, is what unites us. This is the common union that we have all experienced the benefits of His broken body and His, shared, his shed blood. And so we have joint participation in that. Amen. And this is what unites us. Not the color of our skin, not how or where we were raised, are you understand what I'm saying? We, we could have different socioeconomic backgrounds, different interests, different goals in life, what have you. And, and yet be united, have a common union, because Jesus is that common union. He's what unites us together. Amen? My thumb serves a, serves a different purpose than my knee. And they're both joints in my body. And they have a common union. And the common union is they're all part of my body. 
Amen. See, if we would begin to celebrate what we have in common rather than allowing the things that divide us, the, the differences that we have to divide us, which one do you think God's about and which one do you think the devil's about? The devil's about the division. Amen. This is why the Bible tells us to not judge. First of all, you shouldn't judge because nobody in here likes to be judged by another person. So don't judge somebody else. When, you know, and the Bible even says if you judge others, you'll be judged. But listen to me. When we're judging, that means we're looking for the differences instead of looking for the common union. How we can work together. How we can support one another. How you can help me get to where I'm going and I can help you get to where you're going. Jealousy. Again, notice how it breaks the common union when we're jealous of what somebody else has or what somebody else can do or what somebody else can do perhaps better than us. Man, you should prefer other people. You should celebrate other people. Are you understand what I'm saying? Every time my knee gets me off the sofa, my thumb's happy because we're going to put our hand to something besides a remote control. Are you following what I'm saying here? So when one part of us wins, we all win. If we, if we understand common union. If we understand communion. But see, I just did what so many people do when we talk about common union and communion. We talk about it among one another. We talk about it among ourselves. And it is of the utmost importance. But yet there is still one level of fellowship above this that is more important. And that is our common union with God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says He has made you one with the Father. You are more one with the Father than my thumb and kneecap are a part of my body. A part of one body. That's how one, the oneness that you have with Him. Let me tell you something about God you may have never heard, never heard it said this way. Are you ready? God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. If you're writing, if you're taking notes, write that one down. God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. The Father has shared everything that He is with the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Son has shared everything that He is with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has shared everything that He is with God the Father and God the Son. God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. How important is community? Come on now, who's still with Pastor Mark? How important is community? Well, how about this? Before there was anything, there was a community. And his name is called the omnipotent God. Before there was ever oxygen to breathe in this atmosphere, there was a community. And he is God. How important is community? Community created everything there is, then created you and me and put us in the middle of it. Community is at the heart of everything that God is and everything that God has done. He's not just about community, He is community. Without God, 
nothing makes sense. God is a community. Without community, nothing makes sense. You were not created to do life alone. And as much as you try to convince yourself that you're a loner, and as many times as every person in this room has thought and maybe even repeated out of your mouth the lie that you don't need anybody, the reality of it is we do need everybody. And everybody needs you. And it's the devil's work to try to isolate you. And he does that by manipulating people who hurt you. And when people hurt you, you tend to build walls in your life to protect yourself from the people who hurt you. And there's a lot of rascals in this world who are being manipulated by the devil to hurt you. But here's the problem. Your wall is not selective. In other words, when you build that wall to protect yourself from the sorry rascals who want to hurt you, you also wall out the people that God has put in your life to help you and be a blessing and benefit to you. And so we live behind the wall. Not only do we wall out other people, to a certain extent, even we wall out God when we build our, a wall in our lives to protect us from other people. Because so much of what God desires to do in your life, He does it through other people. It's a trick of the enemy. God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. Now, let's review for a moment, and maybe for some of you this is all new territory. The Holy Word of God teaches us and reveals to us that the great Jehovah God is actually a trinity, or perhaps better stated, a tri, T-R-I-U-N-E, -E, God. Triune means three, yet one. The three that are God, God in three persons, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now there are those who are a little bit confused and they believe that you know, like the Spirit of God is like just some concept of the essence of God, that's only God, and then that Jesus came at Christmas time. Yet that is not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, just as much as God is God the Father, and that the Holy Spirit is His own distinct person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Please watch your language. Please correct yourself if you refer to Him as an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a person. He is the third person of the Godhead. He is God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God the Son. And then our Heavenly Father is Father God or God the Father. Amen. So when we say God, a lot of times we think God and God is speaking of God the Father. Yes, and I understand that because of the fatherly concept. But Jesus is just as much God as God the Father. And, and the Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus or the Father as well. Amen. So it's God in three persons. So while God is three, He is one at the same time. Now this is a mystery. And the Bible explains to us that there will always be some element of mystery when it comes to God and His person. Are you with me? This is why He gave us faith, to get us beyond the hang-up of a mystery. Amen? Right? By faith we understand that the world is framed by the Word of God. That doesn't mean check your brain at the door. It means that you can literally come to peace with the question in your own heart by faith. 
understanding this great God and His ability. Amen? I'm smarter than my puppy. It's pretty arrogant if I think I'm the smartest being that God ever created, right? Or that there's no being smarter than me. If I'm smarter than my puppy, then why is it so hard for me to believe that there's a God who is so smart that He knows every one of us by name? And for that matter, before we were ever formed in our mother's wombs. Amen. But when we talk about God, there are certain things about Him that's a mystery. We can use things because of His thumbprint on this creation. We can use things from this creation to get us close. But all that will do is slow it down enough for us to jump from the physical by faith into the boat of the spiritual. One of my favorite ways to explain the Trinity is the concept of H2O, water. Water can exist as liquid, as we often uh, think of it in this glass. Water can exist as a solid, frozen water. It's still H2O, but it's a different form. Or you can heat water and it becomes a vapor. Now, molecularly, vapor is still H2O. Are you following what I'm saying? In other words, they're all three H2O. It's just different forms of H2O. And each of the forms has a different function. So God the Father is God. He has a different form and function than God the Son. God the Son is God. He has a different form and function than God the Father. God the Holy Spirit is God. He has a different form and function as God the Son. Now, while we're here, the doctrine of the Trinity is that God is one God eternally existent in three persons. Listen to me very carefully. Not three different gods working together in harmony. And there's a lot of folks that have that either subtle um, or absolute belief. But that again, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not that he's three different gods working in harmony, but he's one God in three persons. And also, let's clear this up. God is not one God taking different forms at different times. The Bible makes it very clear. When Jesus was on this earth, he was talking to his Father God in heaven. And the Holy Spirit was upon and Jesus and empowering him. So it's not like God and then heaven and then God left heaven and come, came to earth and while he was here there was nobody there. No. God in three persons taking different forms at different times. So we're talking about one God, three persons, are you ready? Who know one another, who love one another, and enjoy one another. Oh, sweet Jesus. Anybody getting excited about this besides me? This is, the, this is our God. Come on now. This is our God. We need this understanding of Him. Praise the name of Jesus. In the community that is God, each member of the Godhead community are focused on the other members and never themselves. That's why we say He is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. All right, let's, let's stick a fork in this right here. Can I give you a quote? This is from Cornelius Plantinga. He doesn't go to heritage, okay? <laughs> Amen. And in his writings, this, is, this was his comment on this subject. Are you ready for it? The Bible says the Father, the Son, and the Spirit glorify one another. The persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, and defer to one another. Each divine person harbors the others at the center 
of his being in constant movement of overture and acceptance. Each person envelops and encircles the others. God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard for others. Amen. Singers and musicians, if you would, please come. Thank you, sweet Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. I'm going to tell you where we're headed with this. As we understand the fellowship that exists within the eternal community that is God existing in absolute communion. That's a mouthful. Did you follow it? God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion. Come on now. Before there ever was a us, they were focused, enveloped within, glorifying deferring to, communing with one another. And as Timothy Keller says, they were infinitely happy because of that. The joy that that creates. Where does that leave you and me? Our sin left us outside of that community with no standing in it. No right to a standing in it, but Jesus. He came to seek and to save that which was separated from the eternal commun community that exists in absolute communion. To do what? To bring us home. To bring us back into right standing. To bring us back into this eternal fellowship, this eternal community. To bring us back into communion with the Father. What does that mean? Well, by definition, it means this. You sharing your life with him. And he shares his life with you. That, my friend, is the Christian life. That is Christianity. Not a bunch of rules and the threat of an eternity in hell if you break them. But the heart of this, and by heart I mean the heart of your creator, you'll find fellowship and his eternal desire to have it with you. Do you see now why we say the choice that you have to fellowship with God is the most expensive choice you will ever have the opportunity to make? It cost him everything to give you the opportunity to have joint participation together with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand together.